This week on Geeksplained, it's time to gather up your siblings to stop the end of the world again. Because we're diving into a spoiler-filled review of Umbrella Academy Season 2. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is a spoiler-filled review on the second season of The Umbrella Academy. It dropped last Friday, as of this recording, and just like the first season, basically binged it over a weekend. It's that good. Uh, We're going to be talking the entire season, going over... Story beats, characters, relationships, the incredible soundtrack that is almost just as good as the first season. And of course, we're going to be talking about season three. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Doom Patrol. And of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, we got some news for you this week. We, of course, have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with film news. Uh, Two pieces of film news here, not huge news per se, but uh, one of them is really exciting and the other one, not so much. Uh, First off, the exciting one, we finally got our first look at the set or one of the set locations for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, Production has started to kind of slowly get back to normal with sanctions and different uh, studios starting to slowly ease their way back into production. Uh, the first look that we get at a set is a what looks to be a Shaolin temple. Looks great. I mean, all of the photos are pretty much from a, uh, a sky view perspective, so we don't really know the context. Um, you would assume, with a movie called Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, that we would see structures like this, but I'm just excited to see more of that in a mainstream Marvel movie. So I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly where this fits into the movie, what the context is, and hopefully get more information about the film, because I have I have been waiting with bated breath to get more info about this. I'm really excited about this movie and I can't wait to see uh, the next little breadcrumb of info that we're going to get about it. On the sort of sad side, um, over at DC, Patty Jenkins has been uh, basically going, doing her rounds, trying to uh, get hype going for Wonder Woman 84, which the hype is still pretty high, I would say. But in a recent interview, she confirmed that uh, she has basically been able to tell two incredible stories with Wonder Woman in 2017 and Wonder Woman 84, and that she is fully expecting to do a third Wonder Woman movie, but that will be her final movie with the character. She hasn't decided on whether she'll move on to another character with DC or what her uh, her next step is, but she has confirmed that Wonder Woman 3 will be her last film with the character, which is sad because I think her and Gal Gadot have 
a great relationship and they really work well with each other. Just watch the first Wonder Woman movie and any of the trailers for Wonder Woman 84. But I'm glad that we're getting a concise story with the same director and the same lead uh, across a trilogy of films. I really, really enjoy that. Moving on to comics news. I'm a big fan of our comics news this week. Well, one of them. Um, Just like our film news, a piece of positive news piece of negative news uh we'll do the negative news first uh marvel has confirmed along with writer ed brisson that ghost rider the ongoing series has been canceled after issue seven uh ed brisson basically confirmed this on twitter basically talking about how the recently released uh issue number seven is its last uh he went on to thank his uh artist team including aaron cuter who i'm a huge fan of and they he's basically said that you know this is the end of the story for the story they were trying to tell for now but that the leads uh johnny blaze and danny ketch will be continuing their stories on somewhere in the marvel universe it's sad but from what i could tell the sales figures weren't really there for the character so unfortunately that's just kind of how the comics industry goes sometimes in more positive news it's news that i'm very excited about and a follow-up from last week's comics news we talked about last week how tom taylor was uh, teasing more injustice by putting like the letters out start with the i then the n and then he threw a big curveball the day of recording that last week's episode where he threw out a z so it's like in justice um, and then throughout the week, he started to fill in more letters. And then by the end of the week, he on his Instagram dropped the letters J S A. And I flipped my shit. You know how much I love the JSA. You know how much I love Tom Taylor as a writer. And the idea that he would be writing the JSA just sent me over the moon. Uh, we did come to find out this week, and as of uh, this recording, that the teases were leading up to a limited series called Injustice Year Zero. I'm really excited about this. It's basically, of course, a prequel to uh, the Injustice games as well as the long series run that he did, kind of fleshing out the prequel of those games, going from year... Uh, year one all the way through year five then doing an injustice 2 comic this is going to predate all of that and as i'm looking at the press release here it says that serving as a prequel to injustice gods among us year zero focuses the action around the justice league and the discovery of how their predecessors covertly fought within world war ii to bring down a tyrant when the joker finds a way to control dc's superheroes he uses his leverage to sabotage the justice league and the J. ASA from the inside. Um, I'm really freaking excited about this. Um, the team that is going to be on this is, of course, written by Tom Taylor, art by Roge Antonio. Probably said that wrong. I apologize. Along with Cyan Tormi, Rain Barreto, and Wes Abbott. Probably said those names wrong too, and I apologize for those as well. But I'm just excited about this. The idea of Tom Taylor writing the JSA, I am just, I'm really excited about. The cover for the first issue looks fantastic as well. Uh, Basically, the 
cover shows different members of the JSA fighting the J- the Justice League. I love this. I'm a big fan of this. Uh, for those of you who uh, follow me, they know that I am a huge fan of Jay Garrick. I'm a big fan of the JSA as a whole, and the Jay Garrick skin is the one that I used primarily in Injustice 2. I love it so much, and so I was hoping that at some point the JSA would be brought into this. Uh, from what I understand, the first three issues are available now. It's going to be all digital. It's an all digital series. Uh, you go on Comixology, and I believe the issues are uh, 99 cents each or like 250 for like the first three issues. Um, I haven't read them yet, but I am absolutely going to read them as soon as I finish wrapping up uh, recording here. Um, I'm just excited about this. Injustice is, you know, it has its uh, fans and its detractors, but Tom Taylor has crafted a wonderful world within that um, that scope and that idea. So I'm excited to pick this up. Tom Taylor is just knocking out series after series after series, and I am just... I'm gobbling it up like Pac-Man. I love his writing. I love his characters. I love this idea. I love the JSA. So this this is a home run for me. Uh, you, like I said, you can pick up the first three issues um, right now on Comixology, and then each issue will be released subs- subsequently after that um, each week. So definitely be on the lookout for those. Jumping into miscellaneous news, two big pieces of miscellaneous news, both for video games and both for the same video game. Uh, The Avengers game is coming up. It's less than a month away as of this recording, and to kind of mark the occasion for that, uh, Crystal Dynamics put together their second War Table event. The first one was, I believe, in late June somewhere, um, basically kind of showcasing what they were uh, developing, what you can expect for the game. This one was a lot of the same stuff, but it felt more refined. It felt like, okay, we're getting a look at the... Um, the customization, we're getting a look at the character growth, we're getting a look at some of the modes available. They went deep into the beta, which is going to be dropping um, this week as of this recording. Uh, so lots of great info. And they also had a big reveal showing off their first post-launch character, which is, as we were all kind of expecting, Hawkeye. He looks great. His... Uh, his appearance, which has been remixed for this game, looks fantastic, drawing a lot from not just uh, the Matt Fraction run, but also the Ultimates version of the character. I think he looks fantastic. I can't wait to play as him. Um, like I said, he is going to be a free character that is going to be added into the game post-launch. And so I'm stoked. I've been singing the praises of this game since it was announced. I am so excited. We're less than a month away, and I cannot wait to get my hands on it. And I can't wait to get my hands on it as a PlayStation 4 player because in our second piece of news, they announced that PlayStation owners will be getting an exclusive character, and that is Spider-Man. This news was broken by good friend of the podcast, good brother Josh from Panels to Pixels. He pointed this out on Twitter that I think it was a uh, a website, a gaming website put out as part of like their uh, product. It was like a, like a GameStop or something um, in his area put out this um, description that included 
uh, Spidey being a play or a PlayStation exclusive character went silent. No one talked about it. Josh was the only person talking about this. And then all of a sudden it blew up and Crystal Dynamics had no choice but to announce. So um, if anyone says that any other news source broke this story, they did not. It was Josh. Remember. Um, but no, I'm really excited about this uh, Spidey. It makes sense, sort of, just because PlayStation has the Spidey character. Uh, the last Spider-Man game, as well as Spider-Man Miles Morales, are PlayStation exclusives. So if they are leaning towards the same universe or the same character, we do know that the Avengers and the Greater Marvel Universe does exist in Mar- in Marvel Spider-Man from PlayStation 4. Um, and they did say something about during the events of them being on the West Coast which coincides with A-Day and the San Francisco um, attacks on that. So I don't know. I don't know if they're connected. They've never stated that. We don't know anything about this portrayal of Spidey other than he's going to be in the game. But I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm, I pre-ordered this on PlayStation 4, and I will be getting Spider-Man and Hawkeye, so I get to have my cake and eat it too. And I am just, I'm excited. I think it kind of sucks for Xbox owners, but... I mean, this is this is the game. This is how it's been for a while now, ever since, I think, from what I remember, like, the release of Arkham Knight. They started doing, like, with, with uh, respect to, like, superhero games. Um, they started having, like, console exclusives for that. It might even go further back, because I seem to remember something with, like, Ultimate Alliance or X-Men Legends um, specifically having characters that they didn't have on Xbox. So, I don't know what the history of it is i'd have to dive into that further maybe in another episode we'll see but um yeah spider-man is coming to uh, avengers and i'm very excited about this so that does it no tv news this week but that's okay because our main uh course the andre if you will of this week's episode is a full spoiler filled review on a big tv property called the umbrella academy so strap in and get ready for a spoiler filled review of season two going to give you a little peek behind the curtain as i'm recording this i am still trying to figure out which song from this incredible soundtrack i'm going to use as the intro song for this segment though i have faith in myself that i will regardless of what song i choose it is going to be fantastic because just like the first season the second season of umbrella academy has an incredible soundtrack so whatever song ends up getting put there um it's gonna be great really excited about it but this is your spoiler filled review for umbrella academy season two if you have not seen the second season of the show first of all what are you doing it's been out since friday what just watch it Especially if you've seen the first season, go watch it. Uh, pause this, go watch it, come back, we're going to talk about it. So if you haven't seen it yet, this is your spoiler warning. I'm going to be talking about the show in depth. So let's 
do this. Uh, first off, this season, in comparison to season one, uh, the season is bigger, it's bolder, it is everything from season one kind of dialed up to 11. And I loved it. Uh, there's certain things I don't there's certain things I wish they had done a little better or a little differently, but overall, this season was fantastic. I thought it was great. I had a great time with it, and I cannot wait to talk about the reasons why I love this so much. Uh, the premise, the premise of this uh, season is kind of jumping straight out of the cliffhanger from season one, which was Vanya causing the end of the world, Five using his abilities to jump his siblings back in time. Time. And it. I remember watching the final episode of last season, sitting there as soon as the credits started to roll and literally shouting at the TV, like about like, what? There's got to be another episode. What is happening here? Because it was a huge cliffhanger to end on. I was not prepared for it to do that. And what I loved about the first season was that it pulled elements from the first two volumes of Umbrella Academy and kind of remixed them into a way that blended them both together and got to tell its own kind of unique story. And what they do with season two is completely off the rails when it comes to the comics. So when you try to find like little bits of adaptation and whatnot from the comics to the show, you will find very little when it comes to the actual story. There are certain elements, like centered around the assassination of JFK, which they uh, alluded to in the first season and became a huge uh, story point in the comics, but this one is just, oh my god, it is telling its own story, and I love it even more for doing that. Um, so basically, the Hargreaves siblings go back in time, but five, because he just doesn't have a handle on his powers as much as, you know, pretty much as much as anybody in their family. Um, they're all kind of learning and developing as they go. Uh, he ends up not just bringing them back in time, but bringing them back to the 1960s, specifically the early 1960s, and scattering his siblings across right around three years. So all, uh, all seven of the Hargreaves siblings are scattered across uh, Dallas, Texas, f between 1960 and 1963. And from there, it is just chaos. Um, I think I can talk about it you know here i gave you the spoiler warning but the opening scene is amazing it's incredible uh five shows up last he shows up on november 25th of 1963 where russia is invading the u.s and so five immediately knows something is wrong he comes out onto this busy street where russian tanks are rolling through and he finds his siblings using their abilities and fighting the Russians uh, before the Russians drop a nuke on the town, effectively causing doomsday again. Uh, Five is saved by an aged and much, much uh, older Cha-Cha, who, or no, Hazel, who grabs him, pulls him back about 10 days, and lets him know, hey, so this is what happens. Um... Your siblings got scattered across there, the timeline is messed up again, and now you have 10 days to stop an apocalypse. I think, what what is the math here? The original one was 
2019, so we're talking 50 years early. So, um, and then we kind of go off from there. And I loved it. I really like this idea that they were all kind of scattered and you get to see all of them developing and like easing into this new time period. Uh, first off, I want to talk about the soundtrack. I alluded to it at the beginning of the segment. The soundtrack, just like the first season, is incredible. I think I like the first season soundtrack just a bit more, just because the amount of uh, contemporary songs, and I'm a sucker for contemporary songs, but I really love the amount of classic songs that they put in here. They have songs from Aretha Franklin. They have songs... Let me pull this up real quick. I want to make sure that I'm giving everybody their due uh, their due justice here. They have songs from Frank Sinatra. They have songs from... Uh, da, 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 da. I'm looking through the soundtrack right now. They've got... They have TLC's Waterfalls, which is not... Uh, time appropriate but we'll talk about why it's in there um they've got songs from perry como and the fontaine sisters mel torme uh jim boyd spencer davis group all of these classic groups that put out incredible music and for those of you who really enjoyed like the guardians of the galaxy for their soundtracks and kind of introducing audiences modern audiences to older songs this soundtrack is for you because it does the exact same thing and just like in the first season all the songs are used beautifully pitch perfect um and some of them are contemporary songs we do get contemporary songs in this uh in this season we get a great cover of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy by The Interrupters and one of my personal favorites and it's it's a high contender like I said for possibly being the intro to this so you'll we'll find out I mean you'll know as much as I do what the intro song to the segment is but there is an incredible Swedish cover to Adele's Hello and it might be my favorite song in the entire season um I just I loved it I really, really did. There's also a great cover, let me find it here, of uh, Crazy. I want to make sure I get the um, the artist that does the cover because she is, she's fantastic. And there's, it's this really like nice and kind of somber uh, cover of the song. And it is done by, let me pull it up here. Da, 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 where are you? Uh, it's by Daniela Andrade. And if you haven't heard of her, I had never heard of her before this. Check her out. She's got some great covers of a bunch of different songs that I really enjoyed. Uh, Radiohead's Creep, for one of them, is one of my favorites that she does. But the soundtrack is so good. And just like the first season, it amplifies the scenes that it's in. Um, the, uh, the bad guy cover by The Interrupters is set during a fight sequence between five and new character Lila, which we, we will get into. Um, and it's just, all of them are so perfect. It's really, really good. Uh, the opening scene that I was talking about where five shows up and the Hargreaves are fighting the Russians is set to Frank Sinatra's my way. I love it. I love that song. I know that a lot of people who end up using that song are kind of assholes. See Sheriff Jim Arpaio. But um, I love that song. Maybe that makes me an asshole. I don't know. But the soundtrack is, again, fantastic. And it really helps to sell these moments uh, that are amplified by the performances of the Hargreaves siblings. 
We got to talk about them. They are our leads. And I want to talk about the uh, siblings kind of in the order of importance to the plot, but how much also I enjoyed them. Uh, And first up, we got five. Five, just like in the first season, had an incredible arc across this season because he's not only trying to stop a second doomsday 50 years ahead of the original one, he's trying to recollect his siblings and get them all back to 2019. His arc across this series was just great because he's starting to um he's starting to kind of come to grips with the fact that he was a hired killer and he's trying to decide whether he wants to continue to be that uh there's a great um there's also a great kind of deal with the devil that he makes with the handler who returns for this season and the scene where he is basically tasked with killing the entire board of directors for the commission is just Oh, it's 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 chef's kiss. It is so good. And it really kind of shows that five that kind of uh, that aspect of five that they alluded to in the first season with him being the greatest killer and greatest assassin the commission has ever seen. And it shows him kind of on the job. But it's, you know, young Aiden Gallagher five as this just psychopath with an axe, just brutally killing the board members of the commission. Um, And he kind of struggles with that afterwards. By the end of the season, he decides that he doesn't want to be uh, a killer anymore. He doesn't want to kill and I think that's going to be really interesting as we go into season three, um, making him this not necessarily a pacifist, but kind of going against his own rules and trying to establish himself as a non-killer for a hell of a setup that we're definitely going to talk about later on in this segment. But five also got to have this really great episode with the older slash past version of himself it's confusing it's time travel but we get to see old five on the job for uh the assassination of jfk um it was alluded to and i i'm interested to see because they kind of touched on the fact um or they alluded to this idea that he was almost supposed to stop the killing of jfk because in the first season they show him as old five um getting ready to uh, he got his his sniper rifle out, and he gets it, but then he decides, oh, I'm going to go back and stop the apocalypse. So he does his whole thing where he jumps into time, and then we hear the gunshots for the JFK assassination. So I don't know if originally he was supposed to stop the assassination or not, um, but as we see uh, this version of events, this five, is tasked with making sure that... Um, that the assassination goes off and it was really interesting seeing old five and young five um just kind of it's confusing like i said but um the two of them kind of interacting dealing with um i think it was uh paradox hysteria i really just going through like the stages of it the two of them kind of trying to influence luther on you know oh we got to kill the other one um and kind of setting up this five to go and be involved in the events of the first season. So I really enjoyed it. I thought the uh, two fives played off each other really well, and you could definitely see the resemblance. It wasn't, you know, exact one-to-one, like you watched, like, Old old Man 5, and you're like, there's a little bit of discrepancy there. But I think there was enough that you could see, like, a through line between the two, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, five is just doing really well. Um, Aiden Gallagher is a fantastic actor in this character, but 
the clock's ticking. Uh, I was watching this, and uh, my partner, Sammy, she was talking about, like, immediately in the first episode, she's like, oh, he's filling out, you know, his uniform. So the clock is ticking for Aiden Gallagher to film this third season, um, which hasn't been announced yet. They haven't confirmed that it's been renewed, which they kind of did for the first season as well. They waited, like, a week or two before announcing a second season. But... Um, uh, they they got to get him recorded and filmed and everything before he ages out of this role. So I overall, really enjoyed Five. I thought his arc here was fantastic, and I'm really excited to see the repercussions of this decision that he's made across uh, the second season, how it's going to affect his arc in the third season. Next up, we've got Diego. This was a Diego-heavy season. And as much as, because we we're re-watching uh, the first season to get ourselves ready for season season two and we recognize that Diego had a hell of an arc in season one and maybe it was because I was so focused on other characters and we will talk about them um, in the first season that I kind of ignored the full character arc that Diego went on but um, he went on a great arc in season one and season two kind of continued that he shows up I believe um second or third, and he is just consumed with this idea of stopping the JFK assassination. And because of this, he gets thrown into an insane asylum. And so we pick up with him at the beginning of the season in the asylum, uh, along with new character Lila, who um, is just a perfect foil for him, and is perfect as a companion for him. The thing about what um, I think was lacking with the Patch Diego romance from the first season was that it still seemed very, um, I don't know, seemed very tentative. You could tell there was history there, but I didn't see, especially watching it a second time for, uh, for prep to get into season two, I didn't see as much chemistry as I would have liked with that. Um, between the two of them, and for this season, the chemistry between Diego and Lila was off the charts. Um, I really like Diego's art here. They even made a funny um, comparison between him and Antonio Banderas, which I really thought was funny. Um, but he goes through this huge arc in this se- in this season, where they really kind of hone in on this idea that Diego has a hero complex, and he absolutely does. And it stems from this idea that he was never good enough for uh for reginald for their father and so he has kind of subconsciously committed himself to um to making him trying to forcing himself to make the world a better place and so he takes it upon himself to stop the the assassination of jfk but as we come to find out the Assassination of JFK averted a huge crisis that would come on, you know, and we would eventually come to see, causes the timeline from the opening scene from uh, this season. But Diego goes on a great arc showing him kind of dealing with this uh, hero complex. Uh, there's this great moment where they're having the dinner with uh, Reginald, where uh, Reggie just completely dresses him down, and it for a split second, uh, Diego's mumble comes back, or his uh, his stutter. And I love that. I love that character affectation for him. I don't remember if it was in the comics or not, but I loved the, um, the implementation of that from the first season. I loved how they called back to it here. He has a great arc also with the commission, which I didn't think um, I was going to enjoy when they first brought it up. That, oh, you know, Lila brings him in, and he's going to be an agent of the commission now. And I actually thought it was really 
really interesting. And when they kind of all, when the Hargreaves siblings all kind of come back together um, at the end and you see Diego kind of verbally sparring with five about the commission and kind of knowing what he's talking about. I really liked it. And I thought it was a good development for him. And I think that uh, Lila makes a good point where she talks about like all the, like the vigilante stuff that he was doing in 2019. Uh, If he was an agent for the commission, he would be doing it on a much grander scale and actually um, influencing change. So I really enjoyed that aspect and I would love to see if they bring that back. He also made a great uh, friend in Herb, who is now the acting chairman of the commission at the end of the season uh they also gave a huge power boost for him uh just as a uh quick recap in the comics his ability uh besides just a proficiency and an affinity for throwing knives that he developed his uh his special power was that he can hold his breath for basically a long, long time. And that was his power. That was it. That was all it was. But in the first season of Umbrella Academy, they never really touched on it. And they almost made his knives the um, the primary ability. And he would be doing like trick shots with them, changing the direction of them in midair. And it really messed with what I think is the... Um, I don't know, the uh, core aspect of him from the comics... Here, they have upgraded his power even further while also not directly um, confirming or denying that his ability is still being able to hold his breath. But they have, and um, uh, showrunner Steve Blackman has confirmed that his ability in the series is um, kind of like a short, a, uh, a minimized telekinesis. So he has... Um, uh, trajectory manipulation, which is what allows him to make all of those trick shots with um, with his knives as he's throwing them. And in the last episode, he does a huge uh, stopping of like a tor- of a huge torrent of bullets coming at them. He stops them in midair and changes their direction, their trajectory to go away, uh, which was a big moment for him when it comes to his power set they kind of allude to it in this opening scene that uh netflix released on youtube where he is able to redirect the bullets that are shot at him into the russian soldiers and i completely missed that when i was first watching that episode i thought he just threw out a bunch of knives and i was just I wasn't fast enough to see them. But no, if you watch his kind of slow-mo, you see the bullets change direction in midair. So that was a really cool um, uh, foreshadowing for that. And I like this boosted Diego for that power set. Um, Blackman has also uh, referenced that all of the siblings might be getting power boosts over the course of the third season, uh, and that he has said that the death of Ben really stunted them and really kind of halted their progression for a time. But I love this. I love the idea that we might even see more development from Diego, and he is steadily becoming one of my favorite characters in this whole uh, Umbrella Academy franchise, so I really enjoyed him in the season. Uh, next up we've got Klaus and Ben I have them kind of packaged together since most of their stuff just like in the first season was with each other um Klaus is the first person to get dropped off in I believe 1960 and he ends up developing a cult and I love this for Klaus he is um 
more or less sober for the majority of this season, but he develops this cult that is based around song lyrics from songs that haven't been released yet. There's a great moment where he's um, he's telling one of his followers, he's like, don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. And they're like, oh my God. It's just, it's so bad, but I love it so much. And we've seen that kind of trope before where someone who's time traveling uses like words or song lyrics to influence people in the past. But it's so well done here. And I really liked how he kind of used this cult to, I don't know, acclimate himself to the time. And Ben even mentions he's like, because you're a narcissist and you need people to see you as the center of attention. And it's absolutely true. Uh, Klaus also goes on an arc this season where he's trying to stop Dave from enlisting in the army. And this arc for him was so heartbreaking. Um, Not just from the fact that he was five years too early from... Uh, Dave being killed, but that he was trying to stop Dave from enlisting, and he knew that the assassination of Kennedy was what caused him to enlist. Uh, There's a scene in a diner where he is um, trying to convince Dave in front of Dave's homophobic uncle, and it results in um, Dave, who has been just kind of ruled by his uncle and his worldview, punching Klaus because his uncle is like, oh, this, um, this you know, pansy, this gay guy, you got to punch him. And it was heartbreaking. It's so sad. And it causes Klaus to kind of fall off the wagon. And it is so, oh, it's so hard because you know what he's trying to do. And you know how much he loves Dave and he wants Dave to survive. But there's nothing he can do. Uh, By the time that he actually like really gets a moment with Dave. Dave is already enlisted because of the uh, interaction in the diner. And at the end of the season, we see him getting on the bus to go uh, start basic training. And it's sad. It's sad because he knows he can't change it, but Klaus does everything in his power to do so. Ben has a great, great arc across the season as well. Um, Once again, kind of being Klaus's Jiminy Cricket, his conscience, Um, and the two of them have had some conflicts over the course of the first season and in the second season, even more so. They also get a quick little, uh, subplot where Ben finds out he can possess Klaus. And so the two of them kind of toy around with that a little bit. And Ben gets this really nice, uh, moment with this, uh, this girl who's part of their cult where he is just smitten with her and he gets to kind of feel alive again while um, possessing Klaus. You know, he takes off his shoes, he feels dirt, he makes like little uh, snow angels in the dirt, and he gets to finally have this conversation with this girl who he's been crushing on. And then he comes to find out that she has already like slept with Klaus and like they've, um, she is a lot more, um, she's different than he expected. So I really liked this for Ben. He also gets this, Oh, man, this emotional sacrifice when Vanya is um, captured by the FBI. More on that in a bit. Um, And he sacrifices himself to bring Vanya back. And I won't lie to you, I teared up when he is, like, fading away. He used the last of his, uh, basically, his energy, keeping him here to save Vanya, to go into Vanya's mind and save her. And he makes this request. Ugh. 
getting choked up just thinking about it um where he's like can you hug me can i can can you hold me before i go uh because i don't want to be alone and it's so heartbreaking um we do get a little bit of development on um how he died we find out that he died on a mission we still don't know exactly how we know it was horrible we know it was bad um I don't know if I like the idea of him, you know, being killed because of like negligence or whatever on a mission. I still think it's a lot more powerful, especially with his power set for him to, as they kind of alluded to in the first season for him to have uh, died by suicide. Um, It brings a different dimension to that character and with his character kind of, um, at the end, telling Vanya to tell Klaus that he was scared to go into the light. Um, it makes a little bit more sense for me. We They haven't officially stated that he didn't kill himself, but with it being part of a mission, I think it it's different from what I thought it was going to be. But if they end up exploring that a little bit more... I'm all for it. There's a great flashback scene as well where they show Ben's funeral and uh, Reginald just tears the team a new one for not for allowing him to die. And then we get Klaus uh, bringing him back for the first time. And you find out that he's been with Klaus since the day he died, um, which I think is a wonderful little bit of um, uh character progression though i think i would have preferred the way that he um showed up in the first season with the two of them uh it sent it seemed like it was a little bit more recent but who knows um but i really liked ben and at the end of the season we find out that we're gonna get a whole lot more of ben um i thought he went away at the end of um I think it was at the end of episode nine, but uh, he shows up again at the end of season 10, seemingly alive. And I guess as the new number one. So um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm really excited. And I'm excited that we get to see more Ben because he is a character that I would love to explore more. And I really hope that we get to see more of him in season three. And we will. Allison. Allison gets a fantastic arc. In this season. I know I keep saying that. But everybody goes through so much growth. Over the course of the season. I really enjoyed it. Um, Allison pops up. I think she's either second or third. But what's really interesting. In a story that they couldn't have told. In the first or in the comics. Is that Allison pops into. The early 1960s. um, During segregation. When you know. She pops up in the 1960s and she runs into a nearby diner that is whites only and in the comics allison is not a black woman uh she is white and so i think the uh race bending that they did casting her in the first season just opened up a whole new avenue of stories to tell and this is one of them you get to see that Across the um, the time that she's been in the past, she has become involved with the civil rights movement. Uh, she thankfully um, is able to uh, recover from her throat being slashed by Vanya in the first season so she can speak. Um, she can use her abilities, though she doesn't use them. Uh, she uses them more than in the first season, though, which I was happy about because we really didn't get to see her use her abilities even once 
Um, she used them once on her daughter in a flashback, but never in like the present day. Uh, Vanya slit her throat before she was able to use her powers for the first time in the season. But um, I really liked her story. I really liked uh, her having to deal with the blatant racism. They had a great, there's a great scene with a sit-in, and I love it so much. And it really, and I was, I was telling Sammy, my partner, I was like, this show is wildly topical. And I know that they probably didn't intend it to be, but with everything going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, all of the protests, um, in recent months, this show became incredibly topical. And I think that's, I think that's great. And it put a spotlight on the fact that even though, you know, decades have passed, not a lot has changed and it needs to. So I really liked her story. I really liked the fact that she was able to uh, become part of that movement and make a difference, at least in that kind of local chapter, and as well in the life of her husband. She has another husband here, and I really, really liked him. I thought he was great. I loved the dynamic they had. I kind of wish that he had um, went back into the future with them, uh, but I think it was a super noble sacrifice for him to be like, if I leave, I won't be able to help... Um, uh, what's the word, um, help propagate the change that ends up coming. And so I thought that was incredibly noble of him. And I thought he was just so full of charisma. And I, I hope we kind of get to see an older version of him in uh, 29, or I guess in 2020 now, um, when we get to see the, uh, the present day in season three. Uh, like I said, we don't have a season three fully announced yet, but come on. We're going to have a season three. So I really liked her arc. I also, I I have mixed feelings on the Allison Luther romance. I still really like it. I think the actors have a lot of just really great genuine chemistry. But I do get how weird it is that they're brother and sister. And it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, but I love that they talked about it. They actually talked about it in the... Um, in the salon scene with her, Vanya, and Klaus. And I love the back and forth about it. You know, he's, you know, Allison's like, well, technically, and Klaus is like, no, if you have to say technically, there is a problem. And I just, it, it was really good that they um, addressed that kind of criticism from the first season. And I don't know where they go from here, uh, because at this point, Allison has had two separate husbands, one she's had a child with, and so her and Luther, I don't know what the plan is for that, but I really liked her. I liked that we got to see more of her abilities. I liked that we got to spend more actual time with her because she didn't get enough to do in the first season, and I think we talked about that in the um, in the review for the first season, that comparatively from her role in the first season to her role in the second season, uh, second season it's just it's no comparison she, her second season arc and the role that she got is so much larger and she gets to do so much more and i really really like that so a plus when it comes to more allison and i get and i hope that we continue that trend um in the next season she continues to get more of a spotlight because she's fantastic next up we have vanya vanya got an interesting story and that when she shows up in the past she has amnesia she's taken in by this um by this uh far this farm uh small town family um 
the wife sissy is um just the you're like kind of typical like underappreciated housewife the husband is just a garbage person he's just a garbage person and that's just how it is and they have a son named harlan who is special needs um i don't know if it's like a form of autism i don't know exactly what it is and i don't want to um just diagnose it without knowing exactly what it is um but it's some form of special needs and Vanya, you kind of get to see who she is without the powers, without the trauma, without the meds, without, you know, the um, just terrible upbringing that she had. And she is a much, I think she's a much more um, level-headed and a, le- and a much more, um, um, she's much more in tune with her feelings. She's just better as a character i don't know um if they really improved anything on the character besides just kind of writing her into a new role but um this one i really really enjoyed it i also really enjoy that they um got to touch on the fact that ellen page is gay she is a lesbian and they actually gave her a storyline with that she was kind of forced into the a heterosexual relationship in the first season just by way of the storytelling of the Umbrella Academy comic. And I'm glad that they got to show more of Ellen Page as a person and as a character in Vanya's arc across the season because her and Sissy, the wife, fall in love. They have to hide it from Carl, who is the husband, because he's, a like I said, a garbage person. And at this stage of the game in the 1960s, homosexuality is still look down on and once again it's just one of those things where it's like so much has changed and yet so much remains the same and we've we've got a lot of work to do but i really appreciate her arc i like that we kind of got this almost alien um storyline with her of you know oh she shows up she doesn't know who she is but she has these weird abilities and um it's one of those classic like you would see in like the 1940s 1950s kind of uh short stories or um, uh, invaders coming to a small town kind of uh, sci-fi stories, which I really liked. I also liked that uh, we got to see Vanya not necessarily like more in control of her powers, but uh, more refined with her powers. Uh, when she takes out that entire army of commission agents, I was like, yes, I love it so much. And then she, um, when she saves Harlan from the lake, uh, from drowning, again, the amount of control she has over her abilities is really really well done here and then she unwittingly gives harlan some of her abilities um which i liked and i liked that she kind of became tied to harlan in that way so when she was being tortured by the fbi agents it was having an adverse effect on harlan as well um and i loved the even though it was Difficult to watch. I loved the um, interrogation scene with the FBI agent um, kind of trying to because they think she's a KGB agent. They think she's a Russian spy and all this stuff. He's like, who are you? Where do you come from? Who are you? Where do you come from? And he says it in Russian and she responds in Russian because all of the Hargreaves siblings know. I think Allison at one point said like 17 different languages. And I was like, oh, the tension there was so well done. It was really, really well done, really well written written really well written and well acted in that scene um 
I would say I don't know exactly where Vanya goes when it comes to uh, season three or where she goes from here. I guess more of her training and more of her kind of trying to get a better handle on her abilities. But it seemed like she had a fairly good handle on her abilities by the end of the season. So I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go with her, whether it's her connecting more with her family, trying to better the relationship with her siblings or what they're going to do. But Vanya got... A great arc here, and I really, really like it. Then in last place, when it comes to the Hargreaves siblings, it's Luther. And it pains me, because I love Luther. I talked about in this in the uh, first season review, Luther was my favorite character. I really like, and it's probably because I, um, I am really, uh, I kind of, what is the word? I'm losing my words today. I don't know what's going on with me. But I kind of... Um, steer towards characters like Luther, who is your classic, like, Superman, Captain America type. Um, but he had a really interesting story that went nowhere, where he is, um, I think, the last person before Klaus to kind of get dropped off. I think he shows up in 1962, maybe? Um, and he is, uh, or he's the last, he might be, like, Second or third to last. I think Vanya was the last before five shows up. Because I think it's like Klaus, uh, Allison, Diego, Luther, Vanya. I'm not sure exactly. But uh, Luther gets involved in um, in the uh, mob. Basically becoming this, uh, this prize fighter slash uh, muscle for this mob boss. And I was like, that is really interesting. And I want more about that. And they just kind of drop it halfway through the season after he loses a fight. Um, and he didn't get enough to do. He basically traded with Allison for amount of stuff to do uh, between season one and season two. And that was sad. But I did like some of the moments that he got. I liked the... the um, uh, the Fight Club stuff. I liked his moment with Vanya when Vanya still has amnesia. He shows up like with what seems like the intent to kill her, but when he finds out she has amnesia, he's just like, "I wasn't there for you. I made a mistake, and I'm sorry." And she has no idea what he's talking about, but I liked it. Um, and then like he gets, you know, he finds out where Allison is, and he has interactions with her husband, and it's, again, I don't know what they're going to do with him, because he's so, um, he's, he's so, he's not as developed as everybody else at this point at the end of season two, and I would like to see season three kind of give him a better arc. I like that they toyed with the idea of him kind of needing a father figure, needing someone to uh, kind of follow with um, with his father in the first season and with uh, Jack Ruby in the second season, um, and then him kind of being swayed by older five because he's an authority figure, an older authority figure, and uh, Luther kind of needs that. So I liked that, but I would like to see that get developed more. I would like to see him get more of an arc because he didn't really get one in this season besides him uh, palling around with five, and I love that pairing. I love Luther and five together. But I really, I would like more of him, and I would like to see them develop him a little bit more. So that is it for the Hargreaves siblings. As for new characters, I gotta talk about Lila first. Lila was a shot in the arm for 
this season. Uh, every single scene she was in, she was uh, you immediately are drawn to her. She had great chemistry with Diego, had this mysterious past, and you come to find out she is the adopted daughter of the Handler. But not only that, Lila is another one of the 42, I don't know if that's the right number, but I'm just going to say 42, 42 children who were born on the exact same day at the exact same time. I think it's October 1st, 1960. 1989 i'm just gonna say that um and i just thought that was great uh they foreshadow it throughout the season specifically with that fight scene um between five that i mentioned earlier uh where she is somehow teleporting the same way five does but they never show her specifically using the same effect but as we come to find out she her ability is that she can mimic any power that she comes into contact with it's never explicitly stated that she can only do one at a time but it's kind of assumed since that's how she does it but i really liked lila i like that they foreshadowed the twist um and I like just the treatment of her. I'm glad that she lived through the season, unlike the handler. And I'm glad that she kind of escaped into the time stream. So is so there is um, so there's potential for her and her uh, storyline with Diego to continue. And I just I love how they balance out the crazy in each other. Um, she was fantastic, and I really really enjoyed her. Uh, next up is Elliot, and I feel so bad because I loved Elliot. Elliot was such a great character, but unfortunately, um, he wasn't meant to last, and he gets killed. I think pretty much halfway through the season, which was sad. But I liked the idea that like he owned this um, this like furniture store and. In the alley directly behind the furniture store is where all the Hargreaves siblings ended up appearing just at different times and that he across the years became so focused and fixated on it with conspiracies and all this stuff. So I really liked that. I liked um, his energy. I liked his chemistry with Five and with the other actors. And I just... It was really sad, and you really felt it when he was eventually, like, tortured and killed. So I really, really liked him. And his killers were one of my favorite additions to this season, and that is the Swedes. The Swedes were a welcome replacement for Hazel and Cha-Cha. I did miss Hazel and Cha-Cha, but with Cha-Cha dying at the end of last season and Hazel dying at the beginning of this season after spending... His life with um, with Agnes, which I love. I love that they got to spend their lives together. Um, the Swedes were a whole new uh, can of worms, and I really, really liked them. Um, I didn't know exactly how I was going to feel about them for the first two episodes, but as soon as the youngest Swede dies, all of a sudden, the gears switch. Uh, they give this great uh, Viking funeral for him, for his foot, because it's the only thing left of him when he dies. Um, set to that Swedish uh, Adele cover, which I love so much. And then across the rest of the season, the um, I'm assuming the middle child of the Swedes is also killed because um, Allison rumors the oldest Swede to kill his younger brother, which... You really start to feel for these guys. They're just doing a job. Yes, they are killers, but so is five. Um, but you really, like, you get invested in the Swedes. And I love that at the end, after having this moment with uh, with five, at the end of, you know, everything going on, they both kind of say enough. Um, 
the final Swede kind of realizes how much he's lost trying to pursue this job. And he just kind of wanders off into the distance and gets picked up by Klaus's cult. I really liked that. I like that he got almost maybe not necessarily a happy ending, but something that was at least kind of a satisfying end for him and his character arc. The Swedes were a great, like, Terminator-esque squad. I liked how dangerous they were. But again, like, the emotion that you get from them is really, really cool, and the arc that they go on is really interesting, and I I know that their, uh, their story kind of completed in the same way that Hazel and Cha-Cha's did last season, but I, I really, really liked them, and I thought they were a great addition to this season. Uh, we also get more time with the Handler, who we find out survived... Uh, the events of the first season and being shot in the head by uh, by Hazel. And she ends up becoming the main villain of the season. And she, just like how uh, Leonard Jenkins manipulated Vanya in the first season, she manipulates Lila in this season. And just like Leonard last season, she ends up getting killed. This time... By the Swede! Uh, the Swede ends up killing Lila, which, or not Lila, kills up, kills the handler, the uh, woman who basically sent him and his brothers to die. Um, so at least he got some form of retribution for that, so that's good. Um, but the handler was just phenomenal this season as this kind of scheming... Um, just vicious villain and I really liked her I liked how she uh kind of went up through the political succession killing off the board then uh betraying five using Lila it was really really well done and at the end I think they kind of completed her arc and I'm really I I'm sad to see her killed but they pretty much did everything that they could possibly do with her so um she did a great great job being this kind of centralized villain across both seasons and I'm glad that we got you know the information that we got about her because that not only enhances Lila's backstory but also Five's and kind of tying Five and Lila together I thought was really good and the handler kind of being the linchpin for that was really really well done the only big criticism I have for the show itself is that I think I would have liked more time. I know uh, season ten is a, or season two with ten episodes is a really tight. Like I don't want filler, and every episode advances the story as it should. But I think when you look at kind of the uh, story potential for each of the siblings as they were dropped off, I would have liked more time, kind of watching them. Uh, developed to this new time, watching Diego get arrested, watching Luther get involved in the mob, watching uh, Allison have to spend a year not being able to talk. And not like, oh, let's do a whole season on each person. But I think, you know, if they had extended it out from like 10 episodes to maybe like, I don't know, like 12 or 13 episodes, give each episode a, or give each Hargreave sibling kind of an episode to develop showing them show up in the past then watching them kind of develop into where we find them at the beginning of the season I recognize that it might not have flowed as well but all of the stories were really interesting and I remember thinking to myself like I like 
the stories, the lives that each of them kind of carved out for themselves, but I would have loved to see Klaus develop the cult. I would have loved to see more time with Vanya uh, learning that she has amnesia, not knowing anything, developing her relationship with the family. I would have liked to see, again, Luther getting involved in the mob. All of this stuff would have been really, really cool to get more time with, and I just wish we had gotten more time with them. Um, also, I talked about it. Certain characters, once again, kind of fall on the uh, the back burner. Um, I do like that we got more time with uh, Reginald, that we got to kind of see him in not maybe necessarily his prime, but at a point before he became, you know, the... Uh, the headmaster of the Umbrella Academy. We also got to see the original Grace, which I loved. She had like a fun little Texas accent. So um, overall, like just a great, great show. And the cliffhanger for this season was just as jaw-dropping as the first season. Because as as you know, if you've watched the season, which hopefully you have, um, the Hargreaves siblings all make it back to 2019 after both letting JFK die and also defeating the Handler and Lila. But they show back up, and after having the great uh, dinner scene with Reginald, they find out that their meddling in the time stream messed with the Umbrella Academy, which is no more. As they head back into uh, 2019, the day after supposedly what the apocalypse was, um, the Umbrella Academy doesn't exist. It is now the Sparrow Academy. Ben is alive. Reginald is alive. And five new members of the Sparrow Academy are apparently the kids that uh, Reginald adopted. So I cannot wait to see what they do with the Season 3. Again, hasn't been announced, but they've got to make a Season 3. You know they have to. And I just... Oh, I loved this season. I thought it was great. I didn't connect with it as quickly as I did for season one, though I will say that some of the issues that we had with season one, with the first half of it being kind of slow, are immediately mitigated with season two. The flow of the season is much better than season one. Um, the story just goes. It does not wait for you. Um, I loved all of the period drama that we got to see when it came to especially the civil rights arc with Allison and I really it just it made me want more Umbrella Academy which is exactly what the show should be doing um I don't know if I would say I would rank this above the first season because I loved that season so much um and I will admit that it kind of being a retread of like oh five has to stop the um the apocalypse from happening again and everyone's scattered um, is, I don't want to say lazy, but a bit, you know, similar to the second season or to the first season. But I think with this new uh, third season, it opens up the doors for a lot more stories to be told. So overall, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I absolutely recommend it if you haven't seen it and for some reason listen to an entire spoiler uh, review on it. I didn't talk about everything because if you haven't seen it yet, I do want you to watch it. Um, but just so good. Umbrella Academy Season 2, A+, so freaking good. And once again, the soundtrack. The soundtrack's so good. I love it so much. And, you know, here's hoping, fingers crossed, for Season 3.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing Doom Patrol Season 2, specifically episode number 8 entitled Dad Patrol. Uh, this episode starts off in a really bad place. Um, I don't know why my voice went so high there, but... Um, the episode starts off in Arkansas in 1954, and we get to finally see Kay and her fucked up dad. Um, we've, you know, they alluded to how terrible her dad was being both physically and po- verbally and possibly sexually abusive towards her as a child. But um, just seeing it, actually seeing it was really um, was really difficult and really hard to watch. Uh, you find out that anytime that Kay acted up or, you know, in his, you know, messed up mind or whatever, insulted him or made him mad, he would force Kay to get into a bucket and he would lower her into the family well. So we get an origin for why the well means so much to Jane and to Kay and to the rest of the personalities. And I like that. I like that we finally got uh, a reason why it's a well, why they hate the well, and um, it's still messed up, though. It's really, really, um, it's dark. It's dark. But it totally matches up with what uh, what they've talked about, how they've talked about how just, ugh, just gross and disgusting uh, her dad is. And it also kind of kicks off the... Um, the journey that is across this episode, which is the search for her missing, um, her missing stuffed animal, Harry. Um, Jane is basically struggling, and I liked this. I like Jane episodes. Jane episodes are great. So we got to see Jane struggling with this idea of being dispensable. Um, we come to find out, you know, when she confronts the other personalities about, you know, Scarlet Harlot's, um, uh, station being closed. Miranda, who is the new primary, gives this excuse that, oh, you know, she's getting better. She's developing. So we don't need these specific personalities anymore. And Jane is like struggling with it. And I liked that. I liked the idea that she needs to find Harry to make sure that they know that Kay needs her still. And she enlists Larry, who is going through his own stuff right now, dealing with the memories of um, of his son, who ended up betraying him. And, like, I just, I like that pairing. We don't get to see it all that often. So I really, really, um, I really liked having the two of them kind of going on this journey together. There's this great kind of exchange where um, both of them are struggling with their identity and what they, um, what they kind of exist for and Jane says I don't want to fade away and Larry kind of gives this knowing look to her and he says me neither and I really liked that it it really speaks to the idea that all of these characters whether or not they spend a lot of time with each other uh across the seasons they all link up with each other for a different reason they all are together for a reason because each of them um uh each of them really connects and has similar, even though the context is different, uh, similar feelings and similar experiences. So I really liked this. And then um, we come to find out, of course, that Miranda is a villain. When uh, Jane does end up finding Harry, she gives uh, Harry to Miranda, basically telling her, look, 
I know you're primary. I just want you to know that I'm here. And Miranda's like, cool, great. And then she throws Harry back into the well inside of Kay's mind and then pushes Jane into the well. Um, I knew it. I knew Miranda was a villain the entire time, but um, this is... It was good to get some confirmation because as we find out, uh, as Jane is, you know, falls into the water, she finds the other personalities whose um, whose stations have been closed. And you come to find out that Miranda's been killing them off. Um, so I'm really excited to see where her story goes, what they're going to do next with her. Um, just, oh, it's, it's so good. I love this freaking show. Um, in other news... Uh, Cliff gets a whole episode with his daughter Clara, who comes to finally uh, spend some time with her dad. We find out that Clara is getting married to a woman named Melissa, so Cliff has to kind of deal with that as well. Um, and you just really get to see the two of them together and how similar they are, how Clara is really worried about um, marrying Melissa because her family history doesn't have a good history of marriages. And I, I thought that was really um, I thought that was really good. I thought it was handled really well. Um, the advice that Cliff gave to uh, Clara about like, hey, you're you're gonna be the one to break the cycle. I thought it was really touching and it really spoke to that, you know, maybe Cliff's not such a terrible freaking dad. So I really liked that, and uh, at the end, Melissa gives him, or, Melissa, Clara gives him an invitation to the wedding. So Cliff is going to go to the wedding, though I'm sure something bad is going to happen that is going to prevent Cliff from going to the wedding, because that's just his luck. Uh, meanwhile, Vic and Rita are trying to figure out more information about Ronnie possibly killing someone. Um, they have this great moment, kind of similar to... Um, steel and stone where they have uh beekeeper and borg as this uh avengers style not that avengers um parody of the two of them you know going out and being international spies and crime fighters um i loved how vic was rita like showed him you know in the paper she's like i'm the beekeeper and cyborg's like oh man you're a real superhero now we gotta get you a jet we gotta get you a We'll call it the Stinger. And like Rita's like, oh, shut up. So I liked the two of them. Uh, we also got a great little action sequence when Cyborg does eventually confront Ronnie. We find out that uh, the guy that Ronnie killed was one of the people responsible for her trauma and her cybernetics and being uh, them being taken from her. Uh, she doesn't apologize. And they have a little fight scene in the, uh, in the diner. Ronnie sort of wins she overpowers cyborg but then his arm turns into an arm cannon and he's ready to like at least his cybernetics are ready to like blow her into tiny little pieces but ronnie like leaves and there's this great moment where the door swings open and it's rita in her beekeeper costume and i was like oh we're gonna get a throwdown. i love it but then rita's too scared to face ronnie and i was disappointed that we didn't get that action sequence but i like that we kind of showed the cracks in rita's armor and that she is able this is going to be something that she has to grow from so i really really liked that and then finally niles and dorothy uh niles and dorothy are you know basically spending the day together uh there's a great scene where they're at kind of like a gas station where dorothy gets her period for the first time and it's really touching um because like the gas station attendant like helps her out 
Uh, it was really, really touching. And I, as a man, have no context for, you know, periods or getting your first period for the first time. But I thought it was a really touching and a really sweet scene. And I really liked it. Um, Niles is also really showing his age. I don't know if, like, it's intentional or not, but he is looking older and older each episode. Um, I have to assume it's because he's dying, but I don't know for sure. But he looked raggedy in this episode. Um, they do end up deciding to go to the fair, where, um, while, uh, Dorothy kind of goes through a funhouse, uh, Kipling shows up basically telling, you know, Niles, like, hey, I'm here. And Niles is like, I don't know if I can do this. Because as we, um, as we established last episode, Niles is kind of tasking Kipling with killing Dorothy before she can mature enough to unleash the candle maker. And unfortunately, because Dorothy doesn't tell, uh, Niles about getting her period, it's too late. Um, and by the end of the episode, the fair starts to melt the melt around them, and the candle maker goes free. So, I'm really excited about this. There's a lot going on, and I love that everyone's getting something to do. Uh, last season, everybody was very focused in on the Mr. Nobody stuff, so I'm really glad that everyone's getting their own arcs and their own kind of endgame storylines. So uh, overall, really, really great episode. I can't wait for next episode. It's, it's entitled Wax Patrol. And uh, Candlemaker's coming to town, so get ready for that next week. Uh, but for now, we're going to go ahead and roll on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop and Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And it was pretty simple. I looked through the books that we had from last week, and for me, it was a pretty easy answer. And that is Wonder Woman number 7. 59, written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Mikel Janine. I thought this was a really strong start. The art was stellar, the writing was great, um, and it sets up an age-old battle between Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord. I'm sure there's going to be more to it, but I really like the intrigue that they set up, and I'm really looking forward to following this series. So that was the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week, but for this week, we've got not one, not two, not four, but seven total books to check out this week. I know, this is the big week. I've been waiting for this. And they're all stellar books. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it. Starting off with Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number six. Uh, written by Mark Wade with art by Kev Walker. This book's been so good. It's been really, really good. I, I think people have been sleeping on this book, and they absolutely shouldn't be. Uh, Kev Walker's art is fantastic. Mark Wade has such a great handle on Stephen Strange. And the story about like a magical thief stealing uh, weapons and artifacts from Stephen Strange's uh, sanctum is just, it's so good. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Doctor Strange is hot on the trail of the magical thief infiltrating the Sanctum Machina. But as his investigation leads him deeper into a magical black arms-dealing market, the danger 
of being discovered mounts higher and higher, and what he discovers will leave him reeling. So yeah, it's been fantastic. Uh, last issue left off with Doctor Strange coming to basically this auction, uh, auctioning off all of the stuff that was stolen from him. So kind of diving into the underworld of like uh, magical weapons dealing is something that we haven't really uh, touched on when it comes to Doctor Strange. So I really like it. And I like that they're talking about this. And I like that this is the direction that the book is going. So definitely pick this one up. Next up, another strange book. We have Strange Adventures, number four of 12, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. Uh, this book has also been really freaking good. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, I've been really enjoying the intrigue, the uh, double speak, just all of the um, mystery and the uh, political thriller aspect of this. I've been really, really liking. The art, of course, is stellar. Um, and it's just been a fantastic book worthy of the Tom King uh, Maxi series title. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Welcome to the planet Ran, Mr. Terrific. Earth's champion of fair play has traveled halfway across the galaxy to investigate firsthand the crimes Adam Strange stands accused of. He's not going to find many friendly witnesses, though, as the people of Ran consider Adam Strange their true champion. Yet for all the resistance, Mr. Terrific... Faces on the surface of Ran, his true opposition may be lurking closer to his subject than he realizes. This adventure between two worlds continues. With Mitch Jarrods drawing the gritty Earth sequences and Evan Doc Shaner showing us the splendor of Adam Strange's battles in outer space. So yeah, the book's been amazing. I've really been enjoying it. Um, like I said, it's deepening this mystery uh, between what or who is Adam Strange, and I love the addition of Mr. Terrific in this book. So I'm glad that he's going to be jumping into uh, Ran, and we're going to get more uh, stuff with him. Next up, we have Batman number 96, part two of Joker War, written by James Tynion IV with art by Guillaume March. Um, uh, Guillaume March as well as um, uh, George Jimenez. This book... The first issue was great. I really, really dug it. I'm really liking this uh, this new arc, this uh, just kind of bombastic finale. And it really feels like a big Batman event. So I've been really enjoying it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Reeling from the effects of the worst Joker toxin attack ever. Batman is on the run through Gotham City, pursued by the dark shadows and voices that haunt his past and present. As the Joker's plan materializes, the only person who can save Batman from the brink of true madness is... Harley Quinn. Plus, who is the mysterious new figure known as the Clown Hunter? So again, I'm really excited about this book. The art's stellar. The storytelling is really great. Also, we're getting a debut. Clown Hunter. Um, James Tynion IV has talked about wanting to make Clown Hunter and Punchline big mainstay characters in the Batman rogues gallery. So I'm hoping for just as great a debut for Clown Hunter as Punchline got. And I can't wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have another big heavy hitter. This is a big week. Okay, I'm really excited about this. It's a DC's Dead Planet number two of six, written by Tom Taylor, art by Trevor Harrison. Um, I just, 
It's so good. The first issue has such a great cliffhanger at the end that I immediately needed to pick up issue two and I had to wait an entire month. You made me wait an entire month, Tom Taylor, you monster. Um, The book's just super good. A worthy successor to the first deceased and a worthy um, entry into the deceased line, the deceased verse at this point with the what? four different books going on inside of this uh, continuity. It's been really great, and I'm excited to check this out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The sequel to the best-selling miniseries continues. The Justice League is trapped on Earth, and they've discovered that life still survives on this dead planet. Survival is precarious, though... And with billions of infected still roaming the surface, death lies around every corner. But it isn't just the ants of living our heroes have to worry about, because John Constantine, Swamp Thing, and Zatanna are about to discover another evil growing. So I'm glad that they're following up on the um, John Constantine stuff, because his was some of the most interesting from that first uh, deceased event, and I always will be down for more Swamp Thing and Zatanna. So I'm really excited to see how they follow up that cliffhanger, and I'm even more excited to see how they build out this world that is now five years later. Next up, another one of my favorites, Far Sector number 7 of 12, written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. I love this book. This is one of my favorite books going on right now. And the most excited I've been about a Green Lantern book in a since probably uh, Green, Ant- Green Lantern Earth 2 or Earth 1, whatever. Um, it's so good. It's so freaking good. And if we don't see more Joe in the wider DC universe, it will be an absolute crime. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. On today's agenda, a giant mech fight, transforming her consciousness into digital information, and a high-speed pursuit through an alien computer network. All All with six minutes of power left. But it's all in a day's work for Green Lantern Joe Mullane, as she comes closer to unraveling the greatest conspiracy the Green Lantern Corps has ever seen. Far Sector continues on a new bi-monthly schedule. Wait, what? No! No! Are they going every other month? Oh, no! Oh, I don't like that at all, but we're halfway there. Oh, man, that hurts. That that really hurts. Um, wow. If you haven't guessed, when I record this, this is my first time reading the synopses when I do this. Um, man! Damn! Um, that sucks about bi-monthly, but, uh, the story's fantastic, the art is gorgeous. Pick up the first six issues if you haven't yet. Pick up this issue. It is worth your time. I am really excited to pick this up, even though I am now heartbroken. But, it's okay, because I am getting another big book. The big book of the week, the, and, you know, these are the last two kind of paired up with each other, uh, because it's the debut of Firepower! Firepower issues one and two are dropping in this week being released simultaneously um and i've i've sung its praises for a while now and i will continue to sing its praises um 
Firepower, written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. Um, this is just, it's your new favorite indie book that you haven't read yet. Um, I'm really excited to pick these up. I did um, the pick of the week of last week for the initial prelude trade as well as the, uh, the free comic book day issue. I'm getting the feeling that part of that free comic book day issue is going to be included in this first issue, which makes sense why they're releasing the first and second issues together. But either way. I am excited to read more Firepower. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Series premiere. All new monthly series created by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney. The one who wields the firepower is destined to save the world. But Owen Johnson has turned his back on that life. He doesn't want the power. He never really did. He only wants to spend time with his family and live his life. But unseen forces are at work to make that impossible. Danger lurks around every corner as Owen's past comes back to haunt him. So again, I'm really excited about this. Both issues one and two are dropping this week, so make sure you pick both of them up. And that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number six, Strange Adventures, number four of 12, Batman, number 96, Joker War, part two, Deceased, Dead Planet, number two of six, Far Sector, number seven of 12, and Firepower, number one and two. Also, I already mentioned it in the news segment, but issues one through three of Tom Taylor's uh, Injustice Year Zero. Add that in. Lots of comics to read this week. There are a ton of comics to read this week. I've been waiting for a big week of comics. I've been hoping and praying and waiting for a big heavy hitter group of comics to come out. And I think this group knocks it right out of the park. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. Also, it would help us out a lot if you gave us a rating and review. Uh, just helps get our name out there, rises us up in the ranks of podcasts on whatever podcast platform you use. Though, if you do give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, I will read out your review here. You will join the likes of Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, and now Matt Draper. So I'm going to go ahead and read the review that he gave for us, five stars, and the title of it is A Pop Culture Podcast That's Got It All. Eric's a fantastic host, thank you, <laughs> who's able to give you everything from an entertaining rundown of the news to an in-depth journey through a comic series. Even when I don't have a personal connection to the subject, I still have a great time because this podcast is a lovely blend of heady analysis and warm comfort food. Thank you very much, Matt. You're amazing. Um, and if you want your review read out here just like Matt's, uh, feel free to, like I said, give us a rating and review on iTunes. I do appreciate it. It really helps us out, get us up in the uh, up in the air and out into the orbit of listeners just like you. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag, uh, you can feel free to send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. And I do have an email here from our good friend, good friend of the podcast, Aaron Arancha. I want to make sure I got that uh, last name correctly. Aaron, thank you very much for writing in. Uh, basically, 
he's jumping off of the uh, call to action that I gave from last week asking for your favorite Spider-Man comics after we covered Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man from last week. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It's one of my personal favorite Spider-Man stories I've ever uh, covered. And Aaron writes in, uh, For my favorite Spider-Man book, I am choosing Mary Jane by Judith O'Brien. It may not be the best Spidey story I've ever read, but it is something I have an attachment to, for I read it when I was a 60-pound 7th grader. The chapter, uh, the book revolves around the point of view of Mary Jane. I like this approach for it because it focuses on Mary Jane's feelings towards Peter and not Spider-Man. A great moment comes at the start of the book where kindergarten Mary Jane, where in kindergarten Mary Jane and Peter are paired up for a science project, and Mary Jane's thoughts on having to be paired up with pukey Peter are hilarious. Her thoughts develop from being indifferent to Peter to, in the end, thinking he's really nice and kind of funny, and I like that a lot. Also, it deals with topics such as anorexia and single motherhood, so it's a good read that explores MJ's struggles as a girl as well. Great book, and that's one of my favorite Spider-Man stories that I feel no one knows about. So thank you, Aaron, for putting a spotlight on that story. I had never heard of this story before, but I am definitely checking it out, and I think all of you should as well. Um, From just reading Spider-Man comics, we don't get a whole lot of... um, Stories focused on his supporting cast. That's why I enjoy books like Silk. Uh, Amazing Mary Jane that's coming out right now has actually been really, really good. And so getting stories like this, I think, are important for both uh, giving voices to these characters and both and also fleshing out Spidey's world. So once again, thank you to Aaron for writing in and being part of our Geek Explained mailbag. And again, if you would like to have your email read out as part of the Geek Explained mailbag, please send all emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Um, uh, we are officially in August, so that means that my birthday is coming up. Next week is actually my birthday, the 12th, um, and I am really excited. Another year older, and it's strange as we carry along here, because um, this birthday kind of feels weird with everything kind of going on in the world, but um, I'm excited. I have a really, really special episode uh, that I can't wait to share with you all next week as my special birthday episode. So um, tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Finns det chans att du vill mötas Och prata om det som var Om vad som hände Länge sedan De säger tiden läker såren Men ännu känner jag Hej, vill du lyssna? Jag är ännu i tanken Hur det var att vara När vi var unga, du och jag Jag har glömt hur det kändes Innan allt gick fel, det är som skillnad Nu och då, varför blev det så?
Stück Fahrigen. 